From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be. Welcome to Lighthouse Live. Pastor Mike Douglas here. Welcome. Great to have you with us, especially those of you joining us internationally from places we can't even pronounce. <laughs> great, even great to have you with us. And, of course, our uh, producer and co-host along, Elaine Harlan, and our prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, uh, with us as well. And uh, tonight, Elaine, a, a real treat. Yes. and. Uh, uh, to talk about some sobering things as as far as infant mortality goes, but also how we uh, possibly can save some lives. For instance, uh, infants are uh, guests tonight. Chief Deputy Coroner Christy Ayu is Stanislaw mm-hmm. County, and we'll look forward to meeting her in just a few minutes. Right now, though, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with the story of another real-life Jesus freak. A prisoner had escaped from the Auschwitz death camp, so the next morning the guards picked ten men to die as a warning to the other prisoners. One of the men chosen had a wife and a child, so Maximilian Kolbe stepped forward saying, I am a priest. Let me take this man's place. In that moment, Kobe became a living example of Jesus' words from John chapter 15. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Locked in a cell to starve to death, Kobe spent his last days comforting the other men with prayers and songs and stories of Christ's sacrifice. When only four men were still alive, they were executed with an injection of carbolic acid. For more on The Voice of the Martyrs, go online to persecution.com. You know what's interesting about that story, um, Maximilian Kobe's father uh, was hanged, actually, for being a revolutionary uh, coming out of, I believe... Uh, the the Polish Revolution, and and Maximilian himself was a brilliant guy. He had actually two doctorates, mm-hmm. and uh, but here here's a guy that you know was standing his ground, standing up for what was right against the the Nazi regime, and sacrificed his life so that uh, another man might be spared for his family. And uh, and anyway, interesting story, interesting family. Hey friends, before we go along, a great big thank you to the junior hires at Big yes. Valley Christian School. Had a great time uh, last Wednesday uh, with their teacher, uh, Dorana Marshall, going out and wiping out uh, probably a couple hundred, At more least. than that, feet of oh, gang thanks. graffiti right in the middle of gang territory. And I tell you what, these junior hires were just absolutely awesome, great hard Marvelous. workers. Yes. And we covered more territory than we uh, we normally do. Mm-hmm. So big thank you, right. Big you Valley agree. Christian School. So much appreciate your efforts. More opportunities to serve from the Lindahan List of the Volunteer Center of the United Way. The city of Modesto is gearing up for their annual celebration of Lights Parade. Oh, Mr. Al is Mr. ready. Al 
can't oh, wait. Oh, we cannot wait. This is going to be so cool because this year it's on Saturday, December 6th, 530 in downtown Modesto, this year's holiday magical theme. Oh, it's going to be so fun. A magical theme. Can you imagine? Uh, approximately 70 volunteers are needed to help out with the parade setup, strategic placement of the floats in the staging area, the route marshals, uh, security barricades and road closures, all of the those kinds of things. Volunteers must be at least 18 years of age, able to at least... Well, wait a Too minute. Too bad, Al. You, Sorry. <laughs> Okay, I'm catching on to you. Able to stand for long periods of time uh, and be available from 1.30 till about 7.30 in the <laughs> evening. All volunteers are asked to attend an orientation uh, lunch, and uh, they all like that, I'm sure, from 1.30 p.m. Uh, prior to the parade and will receive a commemorative event thermos. So that'll be fun. And we are going to be there. We are every year. And we have so much fun. Watch for the ABC fire engine. Oh, this is going to be so fun. 1960 American La France. This is so fun. With a Detroit 900 series series diesel engine. I don't understand all about that. This is a guy thing, Christy. I don't know. This is just... just And, and Mr. Al is going to be driving this year, too. Oh, how fun. That's Along with Kermie, the proctor. There you go. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> he helps out, doesn't he? The United Samaritans Foundation Thanksgiving Day dinner distribution providing hot holiday meals to the needy in series, Houston, Keys, Modesto, and Turlock. Now, this is on Thursday. That's this week coming up. Uh, the 27th, uh, volunteers are needed to help out with dinner preparation, uh, distribution of the meals from their uh, big lunch truck, and uh, cleanup after the meals. The Modesto and Turlock sites, volunteer shifts are available between 8.30 in the morning and 4.30, depending on the site. Uh, monetary donations and traditional holiday food items are needed to help out with uh, over 2,000 meals this Thanksgiving. Now, volunteers are also needed on Friday after Thanksgiving uh, to help deliver food boxes to the needy. So even after this Thursday, if you're listening, after you're wondering what to do with all the leftovers, after you've got your belly full of whatever your belly is full of, then you need to uh, think about those kinds of things. You can help out there as well. So, and ongoing opportunities for you to serve. Now, we want to speak right now to the number crunchers. That kind of leaves us out but uh, in a big-time way, but the uh, tax time. I know that, you know, the holiday after all of the Christmas rush and all of that stuff is over, we're looking at tax time. And one of Pastor Mike's favorite things, the AARP, people who send him all of that. You know, I wish they quit sending me mail. (laughs) It's just... It's, it's lost I'm in denial. Just help me with that. Well, you know? So am I. But anyway, but if you want to help uh, do some income tax returns for seniors ages 60 and older, not quite there, but almost. But anyway, low-income tax Thanks payers. Thanks a lot. I, no, I wasn't talking about oh, you. I was right. referring to myself. Volunteers are needed to uh, help out with tax returns in Modesto, Newman, Patterson, and Turlock. Uh, you should be comfortable working with numbers, which I am not, but you might be uh, familiar with simple tax. Is there any such thing as simple I think that's an oxymoron. I think volunteers That's of the all guy that invented the IRS code, I, I think, think so. oxymoron. Volunteers of all ages. Or is it just moron? <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> well, there goes our tax exempt status oh, right the there. Well, you know, we're asking for an audit here. We better be quiet. Pastor Volunte- Mike just <laughs> shut that one down, didn't he? <laughs> volunteers of all ages and backgrounds are welcome. Uh, at least four hours a week between uh, February 1st and 15th. That's what they're asking for. And they put you through a comprehensive training, too, so that helps out. So you might want to help with that. 
Uh, or you might want to help out with the VITA program. That's mm -hmm. Volunteer Income Tax Assistance, and you can sign up now to do that. Uh, you can help out as a tax preparer or as a customer greeter intake or as an interpreter if you speak more than one language. That would be a great I, I thought it was help. to interpret the tax code. Well, you not. know, maybe that's oh, what they okay. need too, and, and that be. might be helpful. So if you're interested in that, you can call Cindy Ray. She's at 209-341-2988, or you can give us a call here at 544-9571. Uh, and in any of these items on the uh, Linda Han uh, list from the Volunteer Center of the United Way appeal to you, and we hope, dear friend, that they do. You can contact Barbara Borba. She's reachable at 209-524-1307, extension 113, or you can email her as well at bborba at uwaystan.org, and you can always uh, feel free to contact us here as well. You know, with the holidays uh, upon us, uh, Pastor Mike and our special guest, Christy, here tonight, there are no strangers to the uh, rise in homicides and, and suicides at this time of the year and all the yucky stuff that, that occur but, uh, around the holidays. But another thing that we see here at ABC uh, is domestic violence. Mm. And uh, sadly, uh, I had uh, an opportunity to uh, witness that this week. A long story here, but we'll make it short because there's a need. A mom and three young children um, are in need of uh, some bedding, uh, sofa, kitchen chairs, dressers, uh, linens and dishes, and things like that for their new household. They have shelter. And they have safety, and that's a good thing. We also were able to connect them with some local resources. Mm -hmm. So uh, they can always use your prayers, and that's a good thing. But if you have any of these household items to donate uh, to this family in need right now, uh, please give us a call here at 544-9571, and we will make those arrangements to get those household items uh, to this Amen. family. So keep those kinds of things in mind uh, as well. Well... Christy Ayu uh, is with us this evening, and as Pastor Mike mentioned, Christy Ayu is uh, Stanislaus County's chief deputy coroner. And I tell you, bless your heart, Christy, you took a day out of your vacation to come and be with us here tonight on Lighthouse Live. And I don't know if I would take time out of a vacation to be with a couple of clowns on a program. <laughs> you did, and thank you for doing that. Thank oh, you for being welcome. with us. That is just a, a tremendous thing. I know the first time that I got to meet you face-to-face -face was when you came and spoke to uh, a group, the LECC, which is called now, or the Latino Emergency Communications Council, and you speak to a lot of groups, but on this particular occasion, and it was wonderful, you came and spoke to us on co-sleeping, and that was a wonderful topic, Christy. What a, an incredible, informative uh, morning that was, because that was just a, an enlightening eye-opener for the group. Uh, you and you do that a lot. You get to speak to a lot of groups. I, I'm, I'm certain, but you certainly did open a lot of eyes uh, to co-sleeping deaths, which occurs a lot, and especially in our county, right? Right. Yeah. You know, we had uh, gone out. I think the first time I heard of you, you know, making those uh, addresses to people, had been out with some of your um, deputy coroners on uh, a death, and it happened to be a small baby and, and mom just had accidentally rolled over on her oh during goodness. the night, you know, and, and didn't realize it till the morning. And, and there's nothing you can do, you know, to make that better. There's not um, a lot you can say but, in that situation. But I just want to compliment your staff, though. I mean, I've been out on several of these and, 
and uh, your deputy coroners are absolutely incredible, you know, in the handling uh, of these people in a very uh, tough, tough time. You know, and uh, but anyway, just congratulations uh, to to the coroner's office for the way that you handle those. Let's talk a little bit about why that occurs and the frequency that it, uh, it occurs in our county and, and what can be done to to mitigate those deaths. Well, I can tell you that uh, a lot of these deaths over the years have been attributed to sudden infant death syndrome. And I think through the investigation that we do and the questions that we ask, we're able to ascertain what actually happened and what position the child was in. And that is what helps us um, find out exactly what happened. And then we can actually state the actual cause of death. And last year we found, I think it was about 18 infant deaths in an eight month period of time. And 14 of them were from co-sleeping, a positional asphyxia, asphyxia type of situation or rolling off of a bed and landing in, you know, uh, sometimes they'll land in between uh, the nightstand and the bed. I, I can remember, um, even when I was young, you know, my grandmother showing me, well, just put, you know, a pillow here and a pillow here. You put the baby in between and, you know, it's, it's okay for them to nap there. And, and where do these, you know, young parents typically get their education is from their families Mm -hmm. and no one intends for something like this to happen. Um, every, most every single family we come into contact with is only trying to provide, you know, a good, safe place for their child. So uh, I went to the Leadership uh, Academy in Modesto. It was, a, it was great. And we, it was 25 different people from all different parts of the community. And I was talking about this. And we actually had media day. And that's where I met um, somebody that invited me to the... Cindy Marks. Yeah, yes. Cindy Marks invited yes. me there. And so I started talking at that group. And then I'm also part of the death review team here in Stanislaus County. They review elder deaths, child-related deaths, and look for ways to prevent these types of things from happening in the community. So then through that, and we developed something called Keep Infants in Stanislaus Sleeping Safe. It's called, it's KISS. Mm-hmm. And through that, we've been able to work on an educational video uh, that we're going to be getting out to the hospitals and community partners as and also local doctor's offices. So it's a video, it's posters, flyers, and teaching tools. Great. How is this information received for the most part, Christy, when, when you go out to these places to speak to these people and get the information out? What, what kind of... Well, we're people? still in the process of putting it together, mm-hmm. and we're still videotaping actually and we've taken the still shots so we haven't actually sent it out uh, to doctor's offices yet christy is this <laughs> and i would assume if you look at a snapshot of stanislaus county that this is not something just intrinsic to our county but this is probably an, an is this a national uh, well, issue i'm on the board for the california state coroners association so the great thing is i have an opportunity to talk to different coroners from and medical examiners throughout the state of California. And also, uh, our people at the coroner's office are certified through the American Board of Medical Legal Death Investigators, which gives us an opportunity to talk to people in other states that do the same job as us. And um, I have received emails asking for this information that we haven't Mm. put together yet. Mm. Uh, A lot of people are really looking and realizing that this is happening a lot more often. 
And uh, the way it goes down, mom or dad are tired, okay, kind of worn out, and, you know, so you just say, well, I'll just lay the baby next to me on, I mean, it's with the best of intentions, and uh, but but that's where the problem occurs, isn't it? It is. Uh, I mean, I've seen so many different things over the last 10 years. I think that I've probably seen about 3,000 decedents. So I have seen every potential hazard for an infant that you could imagine. A lot of times the baby will start crying, the father will get up, the mother will get up, either one, and they get up, they sit down on the couch, and then they lay down on the couch, and they put the child there, and then that child rolls in between. Mm. A lot of time these parents are overtired. Maybe they've consumed alcohol. Maybe they've taken Benadryl, over-the-counter medication, prescription That's, medication. Yeah. It. It is really just a recipe for a disaster. Oh, my goodness. And like you say, you know, tr- tradition, family tradition plays a lot into that. And, uh, you know, when maybe some generations have gone by where it's not been a problem, this is the way you do it. But then it's that one time that, that makes such a, such a difference. Um, as, as you have uh, dealt with the families, like I said before, there's, there's nothing you can do to make it better uh, other than to be there. And uh, I've noticed that, uh, you know, many times the, uh, um, the deputy coroner's on scene will allow the, the mother to hold the baby for a while and, and just to uh, bring some type of, of closure there. Special training for this, or are we just relying upon the, the knack and the intuition of the coroner? For years, it was the knack and the intuition of a coroner, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now we actually have training. We send people to uh, different corners to death notification class, what to say, what not to say. There's actually been books written that I require them to at least take a look at, maybe not read word for word. And there's just certain things that you definitely do not say. And mostly these folks need someone to listen to them and to make sure they're safe. And one of the first things I do after giving death notification is contact. Is there somebody I can call? Uh, And, you know, they typically can't even think of who to call. And I'll simply say, where's your address book? And then, we, you know, where's your phone? And we, we go from there, and I try to wait on scene until family arrives and just give them the information, knowing that they're not going to remember anything I say. Right. So when family arrives, I repeat it, and then I'll leave them a coroner's informational card and tell them to give me a call uh, the next day because they're just not going to remember. Mm. Yeah, some of those phrases that uh, just... You know, seem well intentioned. I understand. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. No, <laughs> you, know? no. I mean, you can't Hang say in something there. like no. that unless you yeah, really do just... understand. But and a... and even if you do understand, maybe you've been through the exact same thing. Um, your perception is a different reality. It was a different yes. time. It was exactly. different people. Yes. You don't know what yes. what the mm-hmm. what they're going through. So sometimes don't. the best thing is just just to not say anything. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think to be there mm-hmm. and uh, to be ca- the calm one. Right. And uh, they do need to emote. I, I mean, that, that's part of the grieving, you know, the grieving process. I know you probably have run into many times. So you'll, you'll get a, a rookie uh, officer or deputy out there, and, and, you know, he's often, he doesn't want the woman to cry, you know. But, right. hey, that. That's part of the healing process, you know. I cringe every time somebody hands a crying person a Kleenex. (laughs) 
And the reason why is you're saying, stop. You stop it. Stop yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes. I, I let them cry. I let them throw whatever type of a fit they want to throw mm-hmm. in the middle of the floor because there's mm-hmm. no, ever time to, no other time to do it than the present. Well, Christy, what are we telling people uh, to, to mitigate the risk of, of co-sleeping disasters? Well, I have my top ten ways to keep an infant safe. You ready? Go for yes. it. Okay. Please do. Uh, obviously, the back-to-sleep campaign worked. Um, I don't have the exact statistics, but that's the way that you should put an infant to sleep is on their back. And it really should be a firm, flat surface. And that needs to be a pop-up sleeper. They're called something different. Uh, a playpen, for lack of a better term. Uh, a crib, something like that. Uh, no blankets. And I know that there's many grandmothers out there saying, no blankets. Oh, my goodness, we have to keep the child warm. (laughs) Well, now they have these things called blanket sleepers or a sleep sack. And really, that's all the child needs in order to keep warm. No soft objects, so no no pillows, no comforters, uh, stuffed animals, things like that. It's it's just not necessary. No smoking around the child. No smoking when you're pregnant. um, Mm -hmm. No smoking in the home. Do not sleep in the same bed with anyone. Uh, no sleeping on the couch, and use the pacifier. So, so those are. And our, using the pacifier, what? Uh, I even have. To, I had to ask. Tell somebody, me about that one. Why are we suggesting that people use pacifiers? Because uh, that mechanism of sucking keeps them from going into that really, really deep sleep. Mm, mm, mm. I couldn't believe it, because I always thought, "Don't give a child a binky." But anyways. <laughs> We never gave our kids pacifiers. Yeah. They chewed on my cell phone. And Al said she knew what to call it. Everybody calls it something different. Binky. A binky. There you go. Yeah. So I'll learn a new word tonight. Binky. Oh, you knew that one. He knew what it was called. All right. See, only you calls it a pacifier. Okay. So use pacifier. That's what? Five? One, two, three, four. Right. And there is going to be somebody that listens to this show. That will definitely email me and tell me that co-sleeping is the best thing ever. And, you know, this is my opinion, but it's not only my opinion. It's the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics opinion on safety. And I feel like after seeing all these infants die in these unsafe sleeping services, that it's my job to tell the parent what is safe. And it's the parent's job to decide what is safe for their child. There you go, Christy. And we, we just so appreciate your expertise and your experience. And, and we're just grateful Thank you so to much. have you on the show. And, and you know, we, we prayerfully consider who would be listening and whose uh, ears and, and hearts uh, that God would touch uh, throughout this broadcast. You know, not everybody. we got five more to go. We, we do. Yeah. Five more what? Five more what? I'm scared five now. Didn't you have what? five points? Oh, five points. Ten oh. points, right? That was supposed to be 10. Maybe my math was off. Mm. We have back to sleep, no blankets, no soft objects, no smoking, no pacifier. We weren't counting. We missed Somebody it. was. Not in the same bed with anyone. Okay. okay. Not in the same and bed. that means no brothers and sisters either. Hmm. So, so no co sleeping. Co sleeping means, yeah, anybody. Same. Yeah. Numerous. Numerous. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Multiple. And, and what age, is there an age limit on this that we well, have to be worried about? Think about what a little infant can do. Uh, when you're eight weeks old, you can't lift your head. You are not able to get yourself out of uncomfor- an uncomfortable position. You can't around. Not yeah, really, no. no. A one-year-old is going to let you know, hey, excuse me, I'm uncomfortable. They're either going to screech, yell, hit yeah. you, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. But 
that's not what an infant does. Okay. So. Okay, are you satisfied I'm at all? Satisfied. I'm glad. Maybe I got seven and a half there. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, Christy, that not everybody can do what you do. How 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 does I mean that that is just a, you know what? You are a newlywed. We want to congratulate you. <laughs> Thank you. Congratulations. Christy is a newlywed. Al, did you know that? That is amazing. I mean, how do you go home and, and when he says, Honey, how was your day? How do you relate? I mean, well, he just happens to work for the media, so he's seen lots of things yeah. himself. And and usually I'll get a phone call before dispatch even calls our office to and he'll be telling me what's happening in the community. So <laughs> anyways. Well, that's what, uh, what what attracted you to the coroner's office? What uh, how did Yeah, that how is one attracted to that Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, that question always just cracks me up because I really don't have any fabulous story to tell you here about why I ended up at the coroner's office. But what happened is when I was about 25, I decided that I needed to go to school. And because I was 25 and not 18, I knew that I needed to do kind of like a labor market survey, take a look at the market where I'd want to work. I did this full investigation, you know. So I thought of nursing. I thought of maybe being a social worker. And... um I had heard of a place called the San Francisco College of Mortuary Science. Uh And so I got an AA degree through them. And what that was going to allow me to either work in a mortuary or something, but it was an AA degree. It was an opportunity for me to get some college and also get into an industry that pretty much will always be there. So I went to work there. And while I was working at Franklin and Downs here locally and going to school, I contacted the coroner's office to see if they had an opening, and they did. And I still had six months of college left, so I went ahead and applied. And after the background check and all the questions and everything that they put you through, then they finally hired me and held it until I graduated. Wow. Yes. So it doesn't take, like, a certain kind of personality or... um... It definitely takes a strong personality. Because when you're going out into the community and you're working with a multitude of different types of cultures, religions, and people, and you have to be able to stand up for what is right, right. and you have to be able to go into a scene and you know, kind of take charge of that scene. So if you have kind of a meek personality, that probably wouldn't work out very well. Well, and I would suppose, too, that you, that you also need a spouse. And, and of course, Bart is, is part of the media and, and has had a lot of life experience in that regard. You also need someone that, that you probably, um, you know, can emote with who, un- who understands to a certain degree. You know, uh, um, so often uh, when, when I was in, in the urban search and rescue area, you know, people would spend 12 hours digging, uh, you know, a body out of a, a structure and after a couple of days of that return home and, and on a major disaster within, you know, a couple months, there was dissension in the home. And it's just because the other person can't relate. I would imagine that that home support is necessary too. some, you know, just, just um, that moral support for you and, and what you have to deal with and what you see every day. Home support is very important, but it's also important that you don't burden your spouse with these things. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you might say, well, what in the world do you do to take care of yourself? Is that what you're going to ask me next? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. She does mentalism things, too. Isn't it? 
reading your mind. <laughs> now, that's a very scary thing. There is no scary. college for that. <laughs> no. <laughs> scary uh, indeed. You know, I've tried different things throughout the years. I've been there now for about at the coroner's office for about 10 years. Mm. Um, church is always a good thing. Yeah. Your relationship with God, my mm-hmm. relationship with mm-hmm. God. And, you know, throughout the years, it's been stronger, not so strong. You know, it's just that he's always been there. And you know how all of us, we kind of wait until things sometimes get really tough. Mm -hmm. And then you say, do you think you could help me out, God? Yeah, we know that. (laughs) And and he always does. Um, So that definitely. And then there's things like exercise and taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of things I I like to get involved in the community and I like Mm -hmm. to volunteer um, and who you should talk, who I talk to, we at the corner's office, we talk to each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. We do. Strong support there. And because who else is going to understand when you, you know, go out and sure. you deal with something tragic. Yeah, so, uh, and what else can I tell you about that? Siblings. Do you have brothers and sisters? What, what? I'm an, I'm my mother's only child. Okay. Now, what yeah. did what did mom think of, of her daughter becoming uh, chief deputy coroner? Let's go back to the day I told her, Mom, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to the San Francisco College of Mortuary Science. <laughs> and she said, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. She said, what in the world? Christy, you could go be an attorney. You could do a number of things. Why do you want to be a mortician? Mom, it's not called mortician anymore. It's a funeral director. Anyways, it was it was next to hilarious. <laughs> she wasn't very happy, but then when I went to the coroner's office, she could, she was better, and now she's she's very very proud of me. She's really okay with it. Yeah, I understand. She's listening tonight. I hope so. Say hi to mom. <laughs> okay, hi mom. <laughs> hi Bart. <laughs> Bart's listening, no doubt. Yeah. A dear servant in this community, Christy, are you joining us during this Thanksgiving week on Lighthouse Life, Christy? I, I told you that a, a song came to my heart. The other day as we were sharing one-on-one and uh, thought we'd share it now with uh, our listeners as we give thanks uh, this weekend and uh, or during this week. And here is Todd Agnew, Todd Agnew, I should say, with Grace Like Rain on Lighthouse Live. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that like me Dying once was a lot But now I'm found Was the light But now I see so clearly And the 
Yeah. Has Todd Agnew with Grace Like Rain here on Lighthouse Live with Pastor Mike, Elaine, and Christy Ayu, Chief Deputy Coroner, Stanislaw County. And we are so grateful to have her with us this week on Lighthouse Live, taking time out of her vacation, no less. <laughs> and we just, you talk about dedication now, and we know that she is dedicated to serving this community. Christy, thank you for the fine work that you do. We know that you have worked very hard on a very special case that we're going to talk about now. 1971, a woman stabbed, what, 65 times, uh, left for dead uh, here in Stanislaw County, which uh, in in some decades later, um, I, I think, God connected some dots, you know, something had to be working so. here. Uh, Christy, a fascinating case, uh, you know, the stuff that great movies are made of, but this is a real-life thing. Take us through what happened in the case of Mary Alice Willie. Okay, I'll try to tell you in this short. How much time do I have left? Because it can <laughs> be a long story. The time you need. That's Go for right. it. Okay, uh, I would say it was probably the year 2000, and... I started in 1998, but what I what I did in around the year 2000 is I started saying I see all these Jane Does and these John Does. It's we have a file of cases that need to be identified. Certain things need to happen in order for somebody to get identified that's remained unidentified for a long period of time. And so I was working with MPD on a missing persons case, and so I looked up this file and I found that the person had been cremated. When somebody's cremated. It doesn't leave very much to do, you know, to do any sort of analyze anything. And that was very disappointed, disappointing at that time. But I, I went on and then um, Ken Hedrick from the Sheriff's Department called our office administrator and asked, you know, if we had any additional information on this case. And me, I'm just very... I'll, I'll just say nosy. I'm just kind of nosy. So I said, <laughs> I said, Susie, what's he calling about? Does he have anything interesting on this case? And I'm thinking, you know, ooh-wee, maybe he's got something cool. So I called him back, and I said, Ken, well, you know, what are you doing with this? And he goes, well, I'm looking at it. It's just an interesting case. And so I began to look and read through the file, and it's one that I had not looked at before. We have maybe 30 in the office actual files of Jane and John Doe's. And I saw that it was 1971, and I said, well, Ken – let me get this person's uh, death certificate and find out if they're buried or cremated. So I did that, and I found that she was buried in Patterson. So I called up Patterson Unified Cemetery, and I said, would you please go and look at this grave and tell me what it says? And uh, this guy's name is Brian. Brian comes back to the phone. He says, it says Jane Doe. And I said, well, you know, okay, then we're going to go check it out. So I called Ken back, and I, I said, Ken, let's, let's exhume this case. And so Ken, Ken, Ken was kind of like, that's a little far-fetched, Christy. You know, we're just going to go out there and exhume her. And, you know, I, I started explaining to him um, what, what we could possibly do to make this happen is we could redo the dental that they did in 1971. We could have a different odontologist look at it, which is the one we use now. It's Gary Found here locally. We could have an anthropologist look over uh, her remains and give us any insight that our uh, anthropologist had. We could also submit DNA to the Department of Justice. And then I, I threw out an extra crazy one, which was let's get a forensic facial reconstruction done. <laughs> and he's, 
he's saying, Ken's like, okay, you know, so about two weeks went by and I kept just on this. Let's exhume, let's exhume. And so we came up with a date. It was a Friday, I remember. And Ken had the day off on Friday, but he came anyways. Mm. So kind of like you on vacation. <laughs> well, you know, you you just have to get committed. Well, yeah. actually, you can't get committed. You just are committed. Yeah, that's there right. You go. right. Or some should be. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, now, are there legal processes that have to happen? You just can't go digging the, up bodies, right? Right. The key to this situation is... If if there's a person that's unidentified, it's the responsibility of the coroner to identify that person if they can. Mm. And so I felt like this is our responsibility. Mm. We can now do this. We have the technology to make this happen. And so we just started working on it. Uh, I went out there and started the process. And then once I got down to where the actual casket was, I it was a pine box, actually, not a casket. But mm. we mm. had... Uh, I had the anthropologist then take over. I'm just a big proponent on if you have a buried body, no matter what, you must have an anthropologist. So then I found the facial reconstruction person. And, oh, the interesting thing about that day is the day before or two days before the Discovery Channel, Extreme Forensics, Mm -hmm. was wondering if anybody in California had any interesting cases they could go on. Wasn't that amazing? Wow. wow. And I called up the sheriff. Do you think we could do this, please? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking... Timing is everything, isn't I, it? Well, I'm just thinking, you know, sometimes you just have to let the media... Work, you know, if you work together, mm-hmm. you can get the word out. And that's in, that ended up what happened in that case. Because we mm-hmm. thought, well, if we're letting discovery come out, then why not have the Patterson Irrigator come out? And why not have the Modesto Bee come out? And they were absolutely delightful that day. Yeah, God, always, God is so cool. Yeah, they were so yes. respectful. Yeah. And yeah. I remember Debbie Nota was out there. Are you sure I can take a picture of this? Is that okay? And it was a really a, a big learning experience for everyone because I don't believe that the coroner's office has ever done an exhumation before in this county. So. Wow. And that probably involved a little bit of, political risk doesn't it i mean it's, uh, i'm gonna yeah. go out and dig up uh, a body and and y- there was a couple of people that thought you know isn't that just a little bit disrespectful hmm. Hmm. what were your feelings as you were going through all of this Chris? i just you knew went? i needed to do it mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. sometimes things just work out they feel right and if they don't feel right i tend to not do not do it Whatever it is, if it if it really something doesn't feel right, you just kind of move on to the next thing. But this really felt like the right thing to do. Yes. Now I would imagine after so many decades, you don't have a lot to work with, do you, or or do you? We had skeletal remains. Okay. We had hair, fingernails, things like that. Okay. Things that uh, they were able to do analysis on, and it wasn't an easy analysis. I mean, the Department of Justice called and they said, okay, you've sent her femur, which is your long bone in your leg, Mm -hmm. and we can't get anything from that. They couldn't get anything from hair, and they couldn't get anything from nails. And so then it was, you know, they tried two teeth, and then we had to send all of the teeth, and eventually they got a mitochondrial DNA sample. Wow. So all all of those particular elements led no tracking, no no evidence. This was a big puzzle. Wow. And it was just all the pieces had to fit together. This was a person. We we, we should, can we we talk about who this this was? If somebody's just listening in to what we're talking about here, because we we serve a God, is a God of justice, and this is all coming together. This is a story about someone's life. Right. 
And she was what twenty one, twenty three, something. Twenty three years old. Twenty three years old mm-hmm. at the time of the uh, of the stabbing here in Stanislaus County. And and uh, well, t- take us back now to you. You've exhumed the the pine box. It yes. wasn't a casket, right? You know, pine box. Uh, you send out all the, all the samples, and you, and you get one small. Um, what is it? My, mitochondrial. Mitochondrial. Deoxyribonucleic acid. <laughs> yeah, DNA. And what what did okay. that? What did that? Tell you? What, what directions did that send you in? Well, it all first of all, it all kind of pieced together with the article. Okay, this was in April, and then in July, there's a lady that once a month puts in Jane Doe 1971 into the Google system, mm. and she gets back the Modesto B article. So if we had not had the Modesto B go out, Mm -hmm. that article would have never been there. And that was Corey. That was Corey. And then Corey's calling me, and Corey has pictures that she's sending me. And I was out of town, and so I'm getting these emails, and I couldn't really do much with it. And then when I got back, I had all these pictures and things, and so then I took all of that. And then Detective Hedrick and I started working on what the next step was as far as identification. And and Corey had been looking for years and years and years and years, right? Like 15 years. I mean, it was she, a long was day-to-day a process, mm-hmm. right? Corey was She'd been going up and down the state of California. Just, she should probably start her own business at this point on looking for people's relatives. Yeah, we'll talk about perseverance <laughs> and tenacity. Yes. You know, just amazing. So she's plugging in Jane Doe almost on a daily basis, I guess. And, yes. And, and getting all these hits. And so the Modesto B article is there, and something clicks in her mind. Yes. The, the time? The time, the location. Um, the last time I think that they had heard from uh, Mary Alice Willie was in July of 1971. Mm. And then we got her on September 11th of 1971 in our county. Mm-hmm. Right. So all the dates lined up, and then she starts uh, sending me pictures, and I've got the facial forensic reconstruction, and I'm looking at that, looking at these pictures, and then I see the mole. <clears throat> yeah. We had a, autopsy photos, and there was a mole on uh, our, our Jane Doe's upper right lip, and the picture that they sent had that same mole. Not amazing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So... Well, I had the opportunity to look at that facial reconstruction in your office, and wow, the, the the incredible talent and skill that went into that is some serious talent. Awesome! Yes. It's amazing what they can do. It is. It is. Now, what what type of information? Um, it, it was a she, right? That. Uh, her name's Gloria Nussi. Gloria, thank you, Gloria. She's um, of clay and bones. She's an, not only does forensic facial reconstruction; she's an artist. And what did she need in, to be able to uh, do that so well? Well, we had to send her the skull, and then she takes the clay mold and mm-hmm. then sends the skull back. We also had hair, so she was able to wash the hair and get the exact color wow. of the hair with the wig. And then we knew that she had light-colored eyes, and she actually ordered, uh, she meaning Gloria, she actually orders eyes that you would use if you'd lost your eye. I don't know what that's called, the scientific name for that particular Thing, but so she it this looks very very realistic mm-hmm. oh and then i forgot to say i put the whole case on the doe network and also on namus 
NAMUS, N-A-M-U-S. It's a national database for missing people. Mm-hmm. And so then her family got to look at all of this information on these sites. And so that was good, too. Well, it's a few more questions about that, but let's pick that up in just a moment. Again, you're listening to Lighthouse Live. Our special guest tonight, Chief Deputy Coroner Christy Ayu, will be back right after this. Deep needs, deep hurts, spreading far beyond the government's ability to help. Children, single moms and dads, the elderly, disabled, the homeless. Yet, Thousands of resources that can meet those needs are sitting right now in the pews and seats of our churches. The challenge? Activating those resources and connecting them with the people in need. We have a proven solution, advancing vibrant communities. We bridge the gap. We connect people and churches with opportunities to serve the needs of their neighbors. Pure, simple, proven effective, advancing vibrant communities. What's our motivation? Jesus' command in Matthew 22, 39, to love your neighbor as yourself. The church at large has a biblical mandate to serve the needs of the community. Advancing Vibrant Communities researches those needs, then finds volunteers with the skills and passions to meet those needs. The very first story that Mike told about ABC involves serving one of my church members whose needs I could not meet within my own community. And in that moment, God humbled me and asked me to open my heart and really listen. And as I saw the setup of the database, I realized that AVC is a wonderful partner with my own congregation. It helps us be more effective. This organization comes along and says, I'll do a lot of the groundwork and we'll discover the needs and then those folks in your congregation who desire to be a part and who have these skills can volunteer. AVC partners with over 80 community and government agencies to help meet the needs of the city. We network with organizations like Habitat for Humanity, the American Red Cross, Salvation Army, the Area Agency on Aging, the School District, and the Police Department. Habitat and ABC is a perfect match in that we both have common missions of helping people get out of the four walls of the church, getting out into the community and helping others. ABC serves volunteers by finding ways for them to help others. ABC serves the needy through volunteer efforts with love, grace, mercy, and compassion. ABC serves churches by augmenting efforts to reach out and meet the needs of their neighbors. ABC serves businesses by helping create healthy neighborhoods, by connecting employees with opportunities to volunteer, and by providing opportunities to donate goods and services to legitimate needs in the community. Well, it works. And I, I, I believe that as in our companies, as being uh, formerly a businessman in, in, in Stanislaus County and, and uh, other counties in the state as, as, as well, that uh, our companies were only as, as successful as our weakest link. And I believe that to be the same case in our communities and in our cities, that we can only be as much as we're going to be based upon the capacity and the ability of others to participate at an increased level and quality of, of life. You know, some of us can do, donate a little money, some a little time, some one or the other or both. It really touched my heart that these strangers 
were interested in me and what I needed in my life. You know, it's not only hearing it, but it's seeing them and it's being there in person and seeing the, the need that they have and hopefully being able to do something about it. I will tell you, as you know, your chief of police in the city of Modesto, we need your help in the community making a difference. Volunteer, I know we can put you to work. And I, I promise you, if you get involved, you'll feel better. You'll be happier. How can we partner with you to meet the needs of our city? We ask you to consider monthly financial support and to help recruit more volunteers. Advancing vibrant communities, faith in action, pure, simple, proven effective, carrying out the biblical mandate to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you. And we're back with you, <laughs> Lighthouse Live, having more fun than allowed by law. We're with <laughs> Chief Deputy Coroner Christy Ayu, and we are so pleased to have her. We are right in the middle of just a compelling story that Christy, Christy is sharing with us, Pastor Mike, Elaine, and, and Christy. And let's please do uh, continue sharing this story as it unfolds. So you have the facial reconstruction, uh, you have the DNA match, and we're talking a very very compressed time frame here from April to about the end of, of September. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happened after that? Corey sees the Modesto B article. Things start connecting. They do. They start connecting. I, it, one of the most important things with this case is it wasn't just Ken or Corey or Christy. It absolutely was a team effort. Mm-hmm. And... Without all of the scientific factors for the identification, um, she was considered a presumptive positive because mitochondrial DNA is not considered an absolute positive ID. But because of the anthropologist's report and the dentist's report and the forensic facial reconstruction, her stature, her weight, all those things uh, considered a presumptive positive. So what happens now? Uh, now Ken has got the ball and he's running. So there's Meaning the investigation. Yeah, there's yeah. a possibility that the perpetrator may may be identified, maybe possibly. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be cool? So far above and beyond what I ever expected, if I even ever expected anything. Mm. So mm. that would be outstanding. Wow, and that uh, and again, this this case just continues to be. Uh, at the one, on one hand, mystifying, uh, but on the other hand, a, a real tribute to those of you who took your jobs very seriously and said, you know, we got to do this. And as, as you said, Christy, something inside of you saying uh, to you, this is right. You know, we, we, we got to right. move on this. And, and I talked to uh, Ken Hedrick a little bit, and it seems like uh, there's that, some of that in him as well. I think and so. Just, he just felt we need, we need to keep going. We need to keep going. You right. Know, there's something here to be discovered. Um, you mentioned that you have about 30 of those cases. Uh, anything that you've learned, lessons learned, that you can apply to uh, the future? Well, I think that any time, well, now there's so many systems into place for identifying people. There's laws through the Department of Justice and what specific samples need to be sent. Mm-hmm. And um, DNA didn't even come into play until, I think, 1993 or 1994. So before that, uh, the way that 
the remains were taken care of is either you're cremated or you're buried. And so in the 70s, they started to cremate our mm. unidentified or our indigent population. So, um, but we don't do that anymore. Yeah. So. One, I think, uh, you know, we're, we, we've talked about the impact upon those on the government side who are participating. And it was just a, a, obviously a tremendous blessing to the three ladies, uh, the fam- extended family members. What a great blessing to them that they were able to have some closure. I can't imagine having a question mm. in your mind for that long every day of what happened to this person. Mm. So the fact that I myself and Ken and our department as a whole could participate in answering those questions for this family was just absolutely a wonderful experience. I'm so glad you went back to that case because before we end on that, I I wanted to say that Pastor Mike had a a piece of all of that too. And I I just wanted Mm -hmm. to say that um, you officiated uh, the services on that, Mike, and uh, you played a tremendous role in that. And and I just wanted to thank you for the fine job. And Christy, I know you felt the same way about that. I've heard many comments on Mike's role on that. I worried about, you know, what what can we say at this service? Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad it wasn't me saying what <laughs> needed to be said. And so I was so happy to ask you to officiate mm-hmm. that service. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the words that you said that day were so wonderful. They touched all of us that were there, mm-hmm. not just the family, but you were a reminder of why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And uh, just your whole uh, your whole blessing and everything was just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all a God thing. Yes. Yeah, you know, that's just definitely teamwork, just, isn't it? God? Everybody <laughs> just really responding teamwork, to yes. to God's uh, leading here. Christy, we have about uh, two minutes left, and mm-hmm. as you look uh, forward to the to the future, and uh, using everything that that God has put into your life so far, all these experiences and and such, how can our people pray for you and uh, the coroner's office here in the future? You know, anytime we can get a prayer is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's probably not usually on the top ten prayer lists of people. They don't I really can't think imagine about it, right? that when people are sitting mm. down or, or kneeling to say their prayers at night that we are probably on their top ten list. And but, God bless Mommy and Daddy and the coroner's <laughs> office. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> probably be taking your child to counseling <laughs> if they came up with that one. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Uh, to our prayer warriors and, and 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 Christy, what you know, you you serve this community. What what attracts you to this community? I mean, what endears this community to you? I have been here since 1972. Yes, I was born in 1970, and my mom we we came back here in 1972. I've been here, grown up here. I cannot even imagine. I mean, I know the roads and the streets and the houses and the schools and all the people, and. I have knocked on a number of doors of people that I've known. And oh, yeah. to me, it's a true blessing to serve these people. Awesome. I would just want to tell you real quick, Colossians 3.12 says to close, clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then I try to live my life by the golden rule, which is to lead and serve others as I would like others to do unto me. Amen. What a great one. Well, we hope, dear friends, wherever you're listening, Christy, thank you. We just want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, thank you for being here with us, dear friends, wherever you're listening. And <laughs> happy Thanksgiving to you. And and uh, just thanks. We have so much to be grateful for, don't we? Indeed. Yes, we do. <laughs> May God bless you as you continue to reach out and love your neighbor as you love yourselves. <laughs>